Amen. Thank you for sharing that. And we don't actually talk about what I'm preaching on when they schedule out the sermon or the, the choir specials. And uh, actually, that will fit absolutely perfectly with what I'm going to share with you in a little bit. I do want to take a moment and just say, as we were singing that Since Jesus Came Into My Heart song, first of all, that's one of the songs I remember when I was growing up. We sang that in church. It seemed like a lot. And uh, it is one of those exciting songs. I just want you to know, if you ever feel led to clap or to stomp your foot or whatever it is that you do when we're doing a song like that, that's okay. You're allowed to do that in church. I could hear one person trying to clap somewhere behind me, and I could see someone else trying to get their foot going. And it's okay to do that in the church to be able to celebrate, because what we're doing is we're celebrating what Jesus Christ has done for us, and we ought to be able to celebrate. And it's okay to enjoy that celebration as you do it. So just want to encourage you with that. I also want to take a moment and just tell you that uh, while I am so glad you are here today, we actually, next Sunday, we will have a special gift for each individual who comes. Uh, we have um, next Sunday is the last Sunday before uh, Ash Wednesday. And it's been a couple years since we did this, but uh, we actually have devotional books that individuals from the church have written. Uh, they have written 40 days worth of devotional material. Uh, we do that hopefully so that everyone will go through the same devotional material leading up to Easter. Uh, it begins on Ash Wednesday and actually runs through Good Friday. So uh, we have almost 300 of these books to be able to hand out next Sunday, and we want to be able to do that. So make sure you're here so that you can receive that as well. That's all free. It's just an opportunity for us to be a, a blessing to the church. I will tell you, the people who uh, participate in writing that this time, in the past we've used some uh, teachers. We've used some of our retired ministers this time, it is individuals from the staff and then our interns. We have tried to use them. One of the things we did different this year is I had each of the individuals who participate also take a day to write about their own personal testimony, connecting it to basically how they became the people that God made them. I think it's important for you to be able to know the people who are serving alongside you. And maybe some of their testimonies will actually serve to encourage you to maybe even share your own testimony or to reflect on God's goodness and generosity to you as well. So anyways, that's next Sunday. So now you have something especially good to look forward to next week. So, well, welcome. It's good to uh, participate in this uh, sermon today. I'm excited about it. I hope you are. As we look at week three of the series entitled Big Butts of the Bible, uh, we've been talking about stories of people in the Gospels who had an encounter with Jesus Christ. They were on one path and they thought they had everything figured out, but then they had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And as a result, their lives were changed forever. Stories where there would have been no hope, but when Jesus came into the story, all of a sudden there was great hope. In week one, we talked about the story of the man who had been born blind. And remember, there are actually several stories of individuals who were blind. But at the end of that story, he could look out and say, I once was blind, but now I see. Last week, we talked about Zacchaeus. And of course, he was the wee little man. But more than that, he was a man who it would be argued that he was spiritually dead even to his community. He was lost. Sure, he still lived near his people, but the truth is 
This man was completely lost to the people of Israel. Even his family probably had nothing to do with him. And at the end of his story, we would look and say he was lost, but now he has been found. Today, as we celebrate God's faithfulness in Scripture, I want to encourage you to recognize that we each have a story, a but God story. And maybe for you, it wasn't that you were blind and now you see, or that you were lost and you were found. Maybe it wasn't that you were dead and now you are alive. I don't know what your but God story is, but I will guarantee you that God has one for you. Each one of us comes with different baggage, things that have happened in our lives, choices that we've made that carry great regret, and God never intended for us to remain in the midst of that regret, but rather he has given us the opportunity to be made new. The story is told of a new pastor who came to a new church preaching a powerful message that really inspired his people. Their hopes were incredibly high that he would preach an even better message the following week. Well, again, he preached a powerful message in week two, but it sounded a lot like the one he preached the week before. In fact, it was the exact same message he had preached the week before. Not sure what to make of it, and him being a new pastor, nobody was, was willing to confront this, so they didn't say anything. And the next week when he stood up to preach, he preached the exact same message once more. This time he was confronted by a few of the church elders They said that they loved the message and they really enjoyed what he had to say, but they asked if he would ever move to the next message. And he responded, absolutely, as soon as the church puts into practice what I've preached about for the last three weeks. I say that because today I'm going to share a message that probably sounds a little bit familiar to you. If you remember the last series that I preached on, we talked about Saul who would become Paul. And I don't know if you noticed, but I had Gwen read a scripture earlier that talked about the transformation that Saul experienced. Well, the truth is, we're going to talk about him again. We're going to look at it from a different perspective. We're going to look at it from a perspective that deals a little bit more with the other character in the story today, Ananias. I know we're talking about Saul because, well, it's, it's Saul, and he becomes Paul, and he did an awful lot for the body of Christ. Uh, he fits very well with our theme for 2020, vision 2020, having a vision, because he was the guy who had something like scales that fell from his eyes. So it, it makes sense that we talk about him, but the truth is, this is as much about Ananias today as it is about Saul. Consider the things that occurred immediately following the resurrection. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus is giving his final instructions to his disciples about how they will carry on his work after he is gone through the power of the Holy Spirit. It says in Acts 1, 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is Christ's plan for the progression of the gospel. It was never intended to stay in one place. We see three specific stages here. First to Jerusalem, then to Judea and Samaria, and then to the uttermost or the ends of the earth. By Acts chapter 5, we see that the church has been established in Jerusalem, the first stage that was there. And in Acts chapter 7, persecution begins with the stoning of Stephen. This leads to the second phase because suddenly the church is scattered and the gospel message spreads to Judea and to Samaria, exactly the plan that God had laid out. Now let's 
zoom in for a minute on a passage beginning in chapter 8. If you got your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 8. There's something that you need to see as Stephen is stoned. Because this is all laying the groundwork for what we're going to look at today in Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 8 beginning, actually, you know what? I want to start in Acts chapter 7. Verse 57 and 58, and then we'll go to Acts chapter 8, verse 1. It says this, Then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. And then in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, we read, Saul was one of the witnesses. And he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the region of Judea and Samaria. Basically, exactly what God had told them was going to take place in Acts 1-8 is taking place. So now let's skip ahead to Acts chapter 9, which is where we find the story of Saul's transformation. By now we find the church well into stage 2, and the gospel is being preached throughout Judea and Samaria by leaders like Philip and Peter and John. But God was up to something else. He is preparing an instrument that he plans to use to move the church into the third stage. The stage where we all are still involved with even today, that of going to the ends of the earth. The gospel not stopping at Jerusalem, not stopping at Judea and Samaria, but reaching everybody else. That instrument is none other than Saul of Tarsus. This enemy, this persecutor of Christians, becomes God's voice, perhaps even the greatest voice in history. InterVarsity Press, New Testament commentary, describes it this way. The most important event in human history, apart from the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth, is the conversion to Christianity of Saul of Tarsus. If Saul had remained a Jewish rabbi, we would be missing 13 of 27 books of the New Testament and Christianity's early major expansion to the Gentiles. The first question that we must ask today is how? How did this happen? Because if God could do it in Saul, then he can do it again. And I think this is something that sometimes we've not really dealt with. The reality is if God could move in the New Testament era, if he could change people's lives then, he can do it today. The question is, do we really believe that he wants to do it today? Because if so, I believe he wants to start changing lives even here. Acts 9, starting in verse 1, says, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. I'm going to ask a question. I'm going to ask you not to respond. I want you to think for a minute. How many of you are Christ followers? Before you raise your hands, I want to define the terms of that question. 
There are millions of self-proclaimed Christians who have no intentions of actually following Jesus. If you're not living, if you're not spending, if you're not speaking, if you're not acting like Jesus, if you're not denying yourself daily and following him, then it is hard to truly claim that you are a Christ follower. My goal is not to judge anyone, but if the fruit isn't there, the tree probably isn't either. Christ followers follow Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? They also teach others to do the same. I'm not saying that they do it perfectly. In fact, they don't. But they are genuine followers of Christ, living intentionally. There's no showing up to church when it's convenient, but rather this is a priority for them because they want to be there. There's no half-hearted worship, but rather it's an opportunity for them to draw close to the Lord. And it's not just on Sunday morning. Every day of their lives, if you really know Jesus, then you should never be the same. Saul is eager to kill true Christ followers. Saul is among the religious elite. He was born in Tarsus, trained under a guy named Gamaliel, who was an incredibly respected religious leader. This passage passage tells us how passionate he really was, uttering threats with every breath. I will say that the Greek phrase that is used here does not do justice in the English language. His hate for Christians was basically the air that he breathed. That was his passion. He wanted to arrest any followers of the way. The name at the time used for Christ followers was the way, likely because of Jesus' own reference in John 14, 6, where he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Saul wanted to bring in both men and women, and this is important. You see, in their culture, this was a a patriarchal society, which means that men were considered significant, women were not. But with that came a good and a bad side. If the husband did something and the wife did it as well, often the idea was that if we stop the husband from doing it, the wife will stop too. So often the punishment would only be upon the husband. But the apostle, or it's not the apostle Paul yet, but Saul has such hatred for anyone who would call upon the name of Jesus that he is not merely setting out to arrest men, but men and women, so that they could be tried and even killed. Saul wants to destroy the church, and so he approves of using whatever measure it takes to destroy this movement, even having individuals like Stephen killed. Remember, we just talked about it in chapter 7. Understand how frustrated Saul is as we come to Acts chapter 9 because it backfires. He thought that if we stop this message now, if Stephen is killed, then surely this movement will stop. But instead of it stopping, it has begun to spread like a contagious disease. The message doesn't stop in Jerusalem, doesn't stop in Judea and Samaria. It is going out. And as we look here, as Saul is on his journey, he is coming as a man who is incredibly frustrated. He thought he had it all worked out. He wants to eradicate Christians, but Saul's life is about to change forever.
forever. Look at verse 3. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told everything. You will be told what you must do. I want you to know that when Saul encountered Jesus, everything changed for him. Saul poses the question, who are you, Lord? In this question, he acknowledges that he is less than the one he is standing in front of. He doesn't really know for sure who it is, but he recognizes this is bigger than him. He still doesn't know that it's Jesus, but he receives this answer, I am Jesus, whom you are now persecuting. Think about what this must have been like. The moment of realization for Saul as he thought he was doing everything the right way. N.T. Wright, a New Testament writer, actually writes about the New Testament. I don't think that N.T. stands for New Testament, but that's a separate issue. He describes it well in his commentary. Imagine his excitement as in the depth of devout meditation he saw with the eyes of his heart so real that it seemed as though he was seeing it with his ordinary physical eyes. And then so real that he realized he was seeing it with his physical eyes, the form, the fire, the blazing light, and the face. And the face was the face of Jesus of Nazareth. Suddenly Saul's world turned upside down and inside out, terror, ruin, shame, awe, horror, glory, and terror again swept over him. Years later he would write, of seeing the glory of God in the face of the Messiah in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. The Lord, the law, and the prophets had been torn apart and put back together in a totally new way. The God who had always promised to rescue in person had done so in the person of Jesus. Everything that Saul of Tarsus said and did from that moment on, and particularly everything that he wrote, flowed from that sudden, shocking seeing of Jesus. Imagine seeing Jesus and realizing who you are did not measure up to what he was calling you to. Conviction would have naturally flowed out of this. Listen, a genuine encounter with Jesus always changes us. I'm not talking about the passing conversation that you have in the hallway. I'm not talking about when you're in church and you're watching somebody else encounter Jesus. A genuine encounter with Jesus always changes us. If you think you have encountered Jesus, but your life has not been radically changed, then you have to wonder if you've really met Jesus, because meeting Jesus changes everything. It changes what we see. Verse 7 through 9 says, The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind, so his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. 
I want you to notice here that Saul is transformed because he had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, but there were other people who were with him who they did not see the same thing. Not everyone that is confronted with Jesus changes. The men who were traveling with Saul heard the voice, but they saw nothing. That's the nature of true conversion. People around you can encounter similar things, but they cannot hear God's voice within it. That's because not every encounter with Jesus is truly genuine. They hear the same sermons. They go to the same Sunday school classes. But to some, it's just noise. A genuine encounter with God is different. It changes how we see reality. I'll use marriage as an analogy. When Linda and I got married, we were very different from each other. The longer I am around her, the more that I'm with her, the more I realize how wrong I was. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to throw that in there. That's not really what I wanted to share. The more I have learned to see life differently, to consider her perspective and not just my own. It has transformed the way I view life. But I'm not going to lie, <laughs> when we first got married, I was blind in many ways. I just assumed that my way made sense to everybody else. And she should think the same way that I do. In fact, my thought was, I can fix her. Yeah, you laugh because you know I was the one who needed to be fixed. <laughs> well, this is how it works with Jesus as well. That initial encounter changes everything. But we need ongoing daily encounters with him to transform the way that we view the world around us. Are you spending time in the word daily? Are you praying daily? Are you seeking him daily? Are you in a discipleship relationship with someone else who will help you grow in your walk with Christ? When Saul opened his eyes... He was blind. Guess what? This man had been spiritually blind for a long time. Now he finds himself physically blind. Apparently this idea of blindness was a theme for Jesus. Remember two weeks ago it was the man who had been born blind. Now we have Saul who is blind. Saul had always thought that he was seeing things clearly, but now he is having to be led by the hand because he is blind. God used this moment to sear into Saul's soul. Try to say that one ten times fast real quick. You thought you could see. You are blind, though. Saul's blindness is a physical picture for all of us of what it is to be spiritually separated from Christ. There are really two forms of spiritual blindness. The first one, I would say, is irreligious blindness. This is the blindness of selfishness. You believe your way is better than God, so you pursue life the way you see fit. At first, things tend to be great. Sin is a lot of fun for a short time. If it wasn't, we wouldn't do it. In fact, if you think sin isn't fun, then you're doing it the wrong way because people don't go back to it if they don't enjoy doing it. It's great for a short time, and then you wake up one day and you've got a string of broken relationships. You're struggling with addiction. You're filled with regrets. Maybe you've made a lot of money. Maybe you've lost your family. Maybe you've thought, Something like porn addiction wasn't hurting anyone. You didn't know that you were destroying yourself internally and tearing apart everyone around you as well. This is classic irreligious blindness. 
It's all because in your mind you got it all figured out. You really don't need God, at least you think. The second type of blindness is religious blindness. This is the blindness of self-righteousness. The first one was selfishness. This one is self-righteousness. You think you can earn it on your own. Somehow, if you can be good enough, somehow God will now look at you in a much better way. You think by following the rules, if you just put on your church face, fake it until you make it kind of thing. If you go through all the motions and do the right stuff, then God has to accept you. He owes it to you at that point. Both of these forms of blindness start with self. Selfishness and self-righteousness. So God gifted Saul with physical blindness to point out to him that he had a spiritual blindness problem. There's an interesting idea within this. It fits so well with that last song that the choir sang this morning. The physical blindness, the difficulty, the struggle that he faced was actually a blessing. Sometimes we look at the hardships that we face, the the difficulty along our paths, and we think to ourselves, God, why would you allow this to happen? God, protect me from this. Take it away. But sometimes those difficulties are the very things that we need so that we will then turn to God and recognize how much more we need him than anything else. Some of us have become discouraged over the years because we've had to fight a battle over and over and over again. It's almost to the point where you give up. Remember, the Apostle Paul later on would talk about a thorn in his flesh that he had prayed on multiple occasions that it would be removed. Many of us have prayed multiple times that God would take away our pain and our suffering. Maybe that pain and that suffering is what God is using to bring you closer to him. Are you spiritually blind right now? The human heart, as John Calvin puts it, can become an idol factory, constantly coming up with things that matter to us more than God matters to us. Whether you give in to those selfish desires or you try to change them through obedience, both have self right at the center. God struck Saul blind for three days, then spent the rest of his life giving him real sight. He transformed the way Saul saw life. When you encounter Jesus, it will change the way you see. When you encounter Jesus, it also will change what we hear and do. Look at verses 10 and ten through 12. Now we're going to move away a little bit from Saul, even though he's still a part of the equation. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. I'll just stop right there. Do you realize this man probably at this moment is thinking, wow, what a great day. The Lord is speaking to me. You ever wanted to hear the voice of God? where you knew that God was speaking, this was a privilege and honor for him. Well, that privilege and honor is about to change. Yes, Lord, he replied. And the Lord said, go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. 
He is praying to me right now. I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. And don't miss it. This is huge. We don't know a ton about Ananias. We know he's a devout Christian who has heard about Saul, but the two have never met before. Saul's had a powerful encounter with God, but he has not yet been converted. We talk about Saul's conversion taking place there on the road to Damascus, but actually it was at that moment that God began the process of conversion, changing his heart. People usually refer to the road, but it was actually a conversion that's going to take place when Ananias shows up and suddenly, in the midst of their time of healing and prayer, Saul will place his trust in Jesus Christ and eventually even be baptized according to the passage that was read earlier. This is where this week's but conversation comes into play. Look at Ananias' response in verse 13. But Lord, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem, and he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. Do you see what has just happened? Ananias is having his own moment with Jesus here, and he ends up questioning God's call. Again, he was excited that God wanted to talk to him. He could hear the voice of God. What a great day this is. Oh, but Lord, I don't, I don't think you really want me to go to this guy. He's killing Christians, and well, I, I am a Christian, and do you see the conflict that I have here? And you can kind of picture this conversation between Ananias and the Lord. He is shocked to hear Saul's name as the one he is going to go to. He'd expect just about any other name, but not Saul's. It almost reminds me of Jonah when he went to the people of Nineveh. He wanted so much to be God's instrument. I'll go wherever you tell me. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. I will speak to anybody. Okay, go to the people of Nineveh. Oh, not them. That's Ananias here. I'll go to anybody. I'll tell them, Lord, just speak to me. Speak through me. Have your way in me. Okay, go to Saul. Ooh. Have you ever said somebody's no for them? God lays it on your heart to invite someone or to share your faith with someone. And for whatever reason, maybe because of fear of how this will turn out for you, or maybe because you just don't have high expectations for the individual, you make excuses not to share. Well, they would never say yes, so why would I do that? They'd never be interested in God. There's no way that they would ever come to church. They would never let me disciple them. You know what? God can change anyone. He changed you. And if God can change you, he can change anyone. But it starts with a willingness to do your part. So look what Ananias does. We know that there's some anxiety about this. It's not what he wants to do, but he's willing to do it. In verse 15, it says, But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. This is one of the biggest understatements ever. Ananias could never have imagined in his mind he could not see Saul becoming this great instrument. He was already a great hindrance to the body of Christ. 
There's no way that Ananias could have fully understood how great God was going to change his life. Think of Paul's missionary journeys to the ends of the earth. Remember we started in Acts 1-8 today? Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. This was stage three. This was what God had already planned from the very beginning. It's hard to imagine that God planned to use this guy named Saul, who was such a pain in the flesh of Christians. And God turned him into one of the greatest missionaries. Two-thirds of the New Testament written by Paul. Are any of you Jewish out here today? My answer, I assume, is going to be no. And you ought to be thankful for Saul. Because he's the one who brought the gospel to the Gentiles, which would be you and me. God says, I have chosen him basically to carry my name. It's an unusual expression here, but very specific. He will carry Jesus to the Gentiles first, but it says even to kings and to the people of Israel. So it's not just for one individual or one group of people, but to the ends of the earth. He was called to the lost and broken of the world. He would also penetrate the power structures of that day, ministering to those in very high positions of authority. In other words, he will minister to the world. And Saul would fulfill what God had called him to do, to go to the ends of the earth. Watch Ananias' response in verse 17. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. The key here, Ananias went. The call was there. There was no question. That was what God wanted him to do. Ananias got up and he went and he did exactly what God called him to do. Crazy, isn't it? <laughs> Straight Street was just that. It ran from east to west, straight throughout the center of the city. Ananias walked that long road of obedience not turning to the left or to the right, although he probably was tempted to do so. He set aside his excuses and he obeyed. My question for you today is where do you say, but God, in your life? What are the excuses that you would use to keep from doing what God has called you to do? I love you, God, but I'm really too busy right now. I love you, but, you know, we love each other, and, you know, we're practically married anyways. I love you, but, you know, I've got a lot of bills to pay, a lot of other things around the corner, so I really can't afford to tithe. I love you, but, you know, the kids have softball and basketball and dance and whatever else you have on Sundays, so I can't come to church. I love you, but... Bible reading is just too boring and, well, I'm too tired. See, I wouldn't say those things. Maybe for you it's something different. But there's a whole lot of but gods being said. What reason do you give 
to God for not obeying him, for not engaging in a deeper level of obedience? What keeps you from surrendering your agenda for his agenda? Do your time, your finances, whatever it is. The point is, there's a whole lot about God in us. I'm going to give you a piece of spiritual advice here for a minute. It's going to sound not so spiritual. Get your butt out of the way. I'm not talking about your physical bottom. A genuine encounter with God means you hear and you listen and you do what you are told by God. Ananias obeyed and he prayed over Saul to regain his sight. Ananias knew there was a risk that was associated with it. He knew who Saul was. He knew that if, if this man has not experienced a true life change, I'm done for. It's over. I'm going to remove these scales, and all of a sudden, he's going to put me in shackles, and it's going to be done. But Ananias knew that God had called him to be obedient. And the result was God used him to transform a life, a life that then would be used to transform a world. The point is, it started with Ananias. We look at Saul, we think, well, what a great man. Look at all the things that he did. But does it happen without Ananias? What might God want to do through you? You may seem insignificant, you may feel insignificant, but what if God is wanting to use you to reach a Saul who will become a Paul, who will then go to the ends of the earth to change the world? Maybe you are that Saul. Maybe you're the Ananias. What God's looking for is someone who will be obedient and not use a but God excuse. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Fathers, we come before you. Lord, we know that you desire to change who we become, who we are, everything about us. But what it comes down to is some of us have made excuses and we've not been willing to allow you to transform everything about us. Saul had been blind for a long time, but you gave him sight. He had been lost for a long time, but you allowed him to be found. He had been even spiritually dead, but you brought him to life. Ananias, you used him to change one man's life, who then changed the world. I pray that you would fill this place with Ananias's individuals who are so willing to be used by you that we would do anything you called us to do. Pray that you would use us today. Open up doors for us to share the love of Jesus Christ with others. And I pray that this world would be changed because of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It is a privilege to be able to share with you this morning and Next Sunday, we have one last sermon in this series, but again, I invite you to come back uh, anyways, but we do have a special gift next week as well, and I will tell you, I'm really excited about it, even if y'all aren't, I'm excited, so thank you for being with us today, go in peace.